Well, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast. My name's Andrew Crow. I'm from Murrigan Unmanned Systems, uh, and today I've got with me Andrew Chapman from AUAV. Andrew, how are you doing? Very well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Mate, thanks for coming along. Uh, really excited to speak to you this morning uh, and hear far more about AUAV, yourself, where you guys are going. And, and I think we really want to hit on um, today looking at drones in, in remote operations and how they can support across uh, the COVID stuff. So, so I think you're at the forefront of that and I'm really excited to, uh, to talk about that more. Yeah, good. Before we dive into all the details and, and everything um, going forward, now your background, as I understand it, is sort of software development and, and super geeky sort of stuff. How did you end up coming <laughs> from, from that side of the house into, you know, arguably Australia's leading um, UAV company, delivering across multiple sectors and multiple platforms? Um, how, how did that all come about? Uh, yeah, so I guess I'm on uh, career number three at the moment. <laughs> yep. Started off as a pure software developer and then moved into specializing in computer graphics. So um, working all around the world with teams of up to a thousand people, uh, turning lots and lots of data into pictures for uh, films and, and things like that. So this is uh, strangely the same thing in reverse. We're taking terabytes and terabytes of images and uh, turning it into data. But uh, yeah, it sort of got to the point where that industry, we'd, um, we'd been the rock stars for a while, figuring out all these problems, solving things that had never been seen before, um, and then sort of got to the end of that journey and like we'd figured everything out and was sort of starting to think, well, what's, what's the next challenge? Um, also getting a bit sick of traveling all around the world, chasing those projects. Like it sounds exciting as a young guy, but <laughs> you reach a point in your life where I don't really want to be living out of a suitcase for the rest of my life anymore. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, that was at the point when drones were starting to pop up or what we call drones these days. Um, so that really got my attention and ticks a lot of boxes for me and the technical side of things, the imagery, and I've always had this bent for um, uh, that entrepreneurial side and, and running my own business. So, so when was that? What, what sort of um, that? I was doing a bit of it in, I was in Canada at the time, so I had a, a business uh, exploring that uh, as a sideline. Uh, Sky Mount Unmanned Systems is still still around. Cool. It's still a thing over there. Um, and that was sort of 20, um, oof, 2012-ish. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And so one, one of the trips back to Australia, I, I literally tried to find and meet everybody I could in the country that was doing anything with drones. Um, very disappointing trip. <laughs> there was two ends of it. There was everybody doing real estate photography and thinking that's a great business. Uh, and then sort of the, um, you know, the big end of town, um, you know, people doing sort of uh, defense contracting and, and things like that. And, and I saw an opportunity in the middle and then uh, found James, who's a um, business partner. He'd actually started AUAV in uh, 2013. So just um, uh, before that trip. And uh, yeah, he had the right vision that, that I agree to of there's this um, opportunity to to be this national scale uh, provider on the, the data side of things. So the, uh, using drones to solve problems, not using drones to just be an exciting thing. Okay, great. So thanks so much for that, uh, that insight into your background and, and where you sort of came from. So how did AUAV then come about? How did you end up, you know, from, from having a look in Australia and seeing what was around, how did you then get yourself involved into AUAV? Uh, yeah, so after meeting up with James, I was really encouraged by what he was wanting to do. And uh, so pretty soon after that, basically, I started working in the business while I was still in Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, so AUAV started in 2013. I've uh, been in business for a bit over seven years now. Um, so it's James and I are the two halves of it, I guess you'd say. I'm in Sydney, he's in Melbourne. Um, and so yeah, his um, background coming from the um, engineering 
consulting world and needing access to the kind of data that we're now providing. So he needed it at the time, and this is just when drones were getting started um, or emerging onto the scene. And uh, so he looked around and saw that nobody else was doing it, and maybe that was the time for him to give that a go. I think he was probably at a similar point of, of thinking what his next challenge in life is. So uh, yeah, he'd started that, and then I got involved a little while later to start branching it out. So he'd started in Melbourne as a base and, and all his um, industry connections there. And then I started in Sydney and then we um, got some other people involved around the country and uh, yeah, started uh, branching out a bit further. So data is the focus for you guys, I, I think. And, and something that I've always said is that is the flying is the easy part and, mm. and what we actually do with the data. And, and I remember back flying, you know, drones and, and UAVs in Afghanistan in 2005 and, and you know, it was the, the, the start of, of Army doing this stuff and we just didn't know what to do with, with the data. Um, I, I did some work with Defence Science and Technology a few years ago around emerging technologies. Um, and I remember the, the coup at the time, Brenton Cooper, Dr. Brenton Cooper, great guy, um, he made a presentation and he said that data is the new oil. Mm. Um, and it seems like you guys have really picked up on that thread and, and data is what you guys are really focusing on. Yeah, so you could almost look at AOAV as a data company hiding inside a drone business. Um, it's just that drones are the most effective way of gathering the sort of data that, that we're generally gathering for our clients. Um, but yes, that's the thing that everybody overlooks actually is just the difficulty of dealing with data. There's a lot of uh, companies, larger companies and government agencies that we've uh, been involved with from a sort of support and consulting side of things that have just gone out and bought a bunch of gear. They've put a bunch of people through training programs and then six or 12 months later, all that gear is sitting on a shelf or gets sold because um, they hit this wall. They just, they get the capability in place. They go out and they get their terabytes and terabytes of data. And then they go, oh, uh, what do we do with this? How do we turn it into the stuff that we need? And um, it's just really heartbreaking for us to see like them start at the wrong end of the stick. Like you've got to look at, what the problem is that you're trying to solve, um, make sure that drones are the right fit for that problem and that you've got all the other pieces of that um, as a potential solution in your mind and, and there's a pathway forward on them all before you go out and buy uh, the shiny toy because that's just not what it's about. So um, yeah, really encouraged to see you guys and the, your um, graphic with the cog. Like it's just- Love the cog, yep. Like what's, yeah, what's, what's the core problem? Um, and are drones the solution to that problem? And, and if yes, how are you fitting that data to the problem at hand? How are you analyzing it, reporting on it, delivering it to people in a way that they can make best value out of it? And it also becomes part of their organization, not just some files sitting on somebody's desktop that aren't ever going to get used again. Yeah, and, and we certainly agree with you on, on that side of it too. We, um, we've seen a lot of people that, that come to clients with solution-centric um, solutions as opposed mm. to problem-centric solutions. And uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of people in the industry trying to sell stuff and sell services and, and make sure that their, their, uh, that their service fits the client they're working for. But uh, I think that problem-centric solution is a really important part of it. Yeah. And that like informs the whole way that we go about business and, and who we hire as well. Like we get people, um, you know, contacting us on the website through the website. Can I have a job? And it's like, well, what's your skills? And they're like, Oh, I've got a drone. I can fly a drone. I've got a drone license. And like, who cares? Um, <laughs> that's not actually a skill. Um, what, what have you got that you would bring to our clients? Um, so we're generally hiring sort of surveyors, inspectors, civil engineers, um, people that can work with that data and fit with the clients to, to give them the, 
the answer that, that they need. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a sad thing really that um, lots of people have gone out and spent a lot of money. And I mentioned the, the big companies and big organizations and that's one sort of sad aspect of, of the hype of the industry. But much sadder is, is the thousand guys that are on their own that have bought five, 10, 20 grand's worth of gear thinking they can make a business out of a, a drone. Um, but you've got to look at it more of like, what's, what's your value? What can you do that the guy next to you can't do? And does buying a drone increase that value? You know, mm. can you then, if you're a building inspector, can you then offer a drone enabled roof inspection service? Well, that's increasing your value. But if you're just a guy with a drone, um, sorry, but those days are gone. It's, it's, there's not a value in, in owning and flying a drone anymore. I think that's that, that's a really good point you make, Andrew. And I think it's something that's that's probably not you know shared um, openly enough. You know, with, with all due respect to our fantastic training partners around Australia who do an awesome job, um, Ross down at AVI Assist and, and Ryan up here in Brisbane with Remote Aviation. Um, the flying is the easy part. You're right. It's it's the data collection and then the, nearly the, the data analysis and then actually using that data. And I want to talk a little bit about data. So um, and to put you on the spot a little bit. So what can we do with data? So we go and fly, um, we look at things, we maybe look at them with 3D models, 2D models. What can we actually do with that data to inform decision-making? Yeah, so the, the core message um, from our perspective is if you need to look at something or measure something or plan for something on your site, you don't need to physically go there anymore. Um, so it's, it's not just the, the avoidance of travel and avoidance of some of the risks involved in that, um, but that you can do a better job of the thing that you're managing if you go through this digital transformation process. So the more digital um, the data uh, well, the workflow is, the more digitally people are working, the better insights you can have, the more automated analysis you can do. And um, in really simple terms, the earlier you can find out what's not working or not going to work, and uh, the earlier you make your mistakes, the, the cheaper those mistakes are. If you've just poured concrete on a massive new site and you realize it's off by a few meters, um, that's a very expensive thing to do. Whereas if you can look at a visualization and get community engagement around that as a purely digital thing and, and just get ticks in boxes and sign-offs left, right, and center along the way, um, you can find any issues really early on. And, and if you keep doing that throughout the project and everyone's got that visibility, uh, yeah, you can just, just catch things early. So yeah, it's all about doing things a bit smarter um, and having less people traveling out to the sites. So you mentioned traveling and, um, and remote work, et cetera. Has this been inspired by COVID or has COVID kind of brought this to the forefront and enhanced this, this kind of um, this thinking around uh, this remote working? Yeah, so it's very, um, yeah, it's certainly interesting how it's all playing out at the moment. Um, it's something that we've been pushing really, really heavily for you know, the last seven years is the improvements through this process, the efficiencies, the safety gains, the better data, the cheaper, the faster, you know, that's all good stuff. Um, but all of a sudden, for a lot of our clients, it's the only way they can get stuff done. So um, it's, it's suddenly bringing a, a big spotlight on this industry and, and drones as a means of continuing work during COVID and, and during uh, isolation and lockdown. Um, so yeah, what we're hoping for um, is that there's this big bump in awareness of this as a, as a technique, and then um, it gets done through necessity in the short term, uh, but there's this longer tail of benefit 
from that, um, everyone's eyes being open to it as a, as a means of working. And I think there's a lot of that stuff's going to come out on the back of um, COVID in, in all these different areas in life, right? Like I'm a technology guy and until recently I've still been using my card to pay for things. And I got sick of having to wipe my card off after the... <laughs> so now I literally leave the house with my phone and that's it. And when I get back, I can wipe off my phone. And so, yeah, I'm doing all my payments. I've got my driver's license on my phone. Um, all this stuff is suddenly like, oh, wow. Um, I just don't need all that stuff anymore. There's a better way of doing it. But COVID has caused that to happen. And the same thing of people working from home. You know, I've got lots of um, people I know that spend two, three hours a day just traveling to and from their, their work site. And, you know, the productivity loss of that, particularly with Sydney traffic, um, is crazy. So I think a lot of people's eyes are going to be opened to these new ways of doing things uh, that will hopefully survive um, on the other side of the, uh, of the virus. I certainly, I certainly agree with you, and, and I've seen that a few times in COVID. Is that um, we've we've been forced to change our ways and our practices due to necessity, mm. but hopefully that necessity just becomes BAU and, and it becomes enduring. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, that uh, realization that it's just a better way of doing it. Let's, yeah. let's continue on with it in some way. Like it's not as if everybody's going to be working from home from now on, but a lot of people can be. Yeah, and, and I think that potentially there's been some workplaces and, you know, you and I are lucky that we work in, in very understanding and very flexible work workplaces, but, um, you know, the ability for me to do an hour worth of homework with my daughter at four o'clock as opposed to having to be in the office and working mm. in the office, you know, that, that's, a, that's a personal change, but it's something that I would like to think is now going to be enduring going forward. It was forced yeah. upon us as part of COVID, but it's actually a better way to live and a better way to work. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of retrospective thinking happening at the moment. Um, do we really want it to all go back to how it was? Was, was that working for us? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, um, so I do want to get back into some specific things. Um, so we talked about data. We, we sort of talked about doing stuff with data. Can you talk, uh, and not necessarily about individual clients, I guess, but just talk about the, the range of clients you work with and then potentially, um, and I'll prompt you if, if we forget about it, some uh, specific user cases or where can people actually employ this uh, within their businesses to, to do it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess um, we do work for a pretty broad range of clients, um, as long as it falls into one of the two main things that we do, which is either uh, mapping things, so very high resolution, very timely uh, mapping of, of large areas, or inspecting assets um, and, and infrastructure. And, and in some cases, that can be tall and inaccessible things like uh, mobile towers or, or bridges or, or just very large-scale um, infrastructure where it makes sense. So um, probably our, uh, some of our typical clients would be uh, the big engineering firms and construction firms. So anybody that's designing, building, or maintaining large projects, um, you know, lots of earthworks, lots of construction um, and, and infrastructure work. Um, Asset inspection and, and management. So, um, yeah, as I said, that's either inaccessible things or just large. So, if you think of a solar farm, that's that can be inspected on foot. You know, it's not inaccessible. It's just you wouldn't want to walk around hundreds of hectares of solar farm with a with a thermal camera and, and keep track of what you have and haven't seen. So, it's it's a good fit. Uh, road and rail is a similar thing. You can get to it on foot, obviously, but. Uh, you can get to it more efficiently at, at scale. Um, so anybody that's got a, a large scale problem, either that's you know um, gr land or, or resources that they're looking after, environmental management or um, or built uh, structure and, and assets. Um, councils and government departments are really good clients because they're sort of a macro client. If you look at a council, it's like a collection of a dozen 
businesses, right? Like you've got the people that look after uh, new subdivisions, you've got people looking after floods and drainage, people looking after the property. Um, and so when we go into council and we give a presentation of what drones can do for them, um, it's great when that's to an audience of all of the different departments within a council and you get some really wide-eyed like, oh, wow. You know, like it was obviously of benefit to people doing subdivision planning, but the environmental guys just realize, oh, wow, I can use this as well. And the safety management team can, can do the same thing. So they're a sort of macro client that works really well. Um, the two fastest growing areas for us um, is on the uh, utilities side of things. So uh, the water industry and uh, two of our senior management are coming from a, a water background. So that really helps. And um, uh, so looking after you know, pipelines and reservoirs and dams and, and just the whole water industry, uh, doing a lot of work around digitizing uh, water treatment plants at the moment, so doing virtual design um, work on on the top of those, uh, and the power industry would be our, our fastest growing area. So we've got a bit of a unique um, capability around around power lines. So uh, in the past, it can only be done through lidar, but we can do image based um, inspection and survey of the, the lines themselves, and so uh, that's that's getting a lot of attention. So. Um, yeah, I think power, if we were just going to pick one client, it would probably be that AOAV is a, a power business. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're pretty agnostic of, of who it is as long as it fits into those one of those two core uh, sort of capabilities. So I like the power example. Um, and typically some of those power lines are inaccessible or difficult to access and, and mm. certainly boring to walk along and take photos and stuff. <laughs> what, what sets AUAV aside from somebody else? What, what do you bring to the table that might be different or better um, or, more, or more efficient than someone else? Yeah, so some of the data sets that we've been able to show the clients recently have, um, you know, we've got that audible gasp, like, wow. <laughs> um, they, they're used to getting LiDAR data where it's like uh, from a manned aircraft and they might get one point every meter. Um, they can vaguely see where the poles are, but it's more about the ground underneath the poles and, and the vegetation encroachment. But, but, you know, honestly, just pretty crappy data. And then you show them something where they can see millimeter cracks in their wooden poles. They can read all the serial numbers off every piece of hardware um, and, and just see all of the issues in full color suddenly. And they're just like, wow, we didn't realize this was possible. Um, now, it's not necessarily cost effective to do that at network scale. We're not going to do that for, you know, the entire 20, 30,000 um, kilometers of, of statewide infrastructure um, for one of the utilities. But if they've got a specific project that that makes good sense for, and they've got a lot of questions to answer quickly, um, that's a really high value thing for them. Um, the other thing, the other end of the scale is just the power pole inspections. So if you think of all those little, you know, one, two, three wire uh, wooden poles running through rural properties, um, each pole is a very simple problem. They need four photos of that pole. But doing that scale is a huge challenge. So mm -hmm. we're um, in discussions with a few of the uh, utilities, and this is particularly, um, um, uh, we've got some good connections in Victoria that are looking like moving ahead on uh, this program, which is to actually automate that. So we can write customized app, um, which has a certain amount of smarts in it. So I won't use the word AI because a lot of people mis misuse that, but machine vision on the drone. Um, so these companies know approximately where the poles are, but they don't know exactly where they are. Uh, but we're looking at an automated system so we can tell the drone approximately where the poles are. It can find them um, and go and take those key photos of them in exactly the same way year after year. So this year, next year, the year after, they get four matching photos on exactly that same angle. Um, and that's perfect for machine um, learning analysis down the line so and yeah. then you can overlay those can you you can overlay those images and, and find differences yeah that's right change detection and, and automated um, analysis over time so um, yeah we like those 
types of problems. That's something that at first glance, it's simple, but yeah, uh, the, the kid with a drone next door can take four photos of a pole just as well as we can, but he's not going to do 200,000 poles. Um, yep. That's a different approach. So you mentioned sometimes it's not entirely cost effective to, to do this. Um, mm -hmm. So why would people do it then? So they, are they doing it for an increase in capability? Are they looking for efficiencies? Why, why would they get you to come and do this sort of work? Yeah, it depends on, on what the project is and what the problem is that they're, they're trying to solve. Um, so if you stand back and you say the power utilities need their whole network flowing with LiDAR once a year, that's not drones. Um, at some point in the future, it will be when the regulations allow for beyond line of sight operations over urban areas, then easy. Um, currently, though, it's a manned aircraft problem that they would get an annual LiDAR capture, much more cost effective than anything you could do with drones at the moment. But if you've got a specific area um, where you need better data for an engineering project, um, that's where the drones work because you don't have this huge setup and mobilization cost of the manned aircraft capture. We can just duck in and out in a day and get them some data the same as we do for anybody else. We don't have a you know, massive mobilization cost of, of getting an aircraft out to site. Um, and then uh, the type of data that can be provided is, is at that much higher level. So it can tick a lot of different boxes. It, it, we might be engaged by uh, the engineering design team because they're re-engineering how that power line works. Um, but that same data can get used for um, environmental impact studies for uh, interfacing with the rail or the road that's also being affected by what they're looking at, at doing. Um, and they've got good enough data to actually judge whether all of those pieces of hardware that are on those poles at the moment are in good enough condition that they just move the pole and keep going versus do they just rip all that out and start again with, with a new route. So uh, yeah, it um, just comes down to what are the requirements, what boxes are people needing to tick? And um, you know, the more of those boxes that the drone data ticks, the more that the cost gets spread out uh, and therefore the more value you can provide to them. Um, but yeah, often we're talking ourselves out of work. And, and I think the whole industry needs to understand that that's the best thing to do in, in a lot of cases. If you're being asked to do something by a client and you're thinking, oh, drones aren't really the right choice here, but I can make a buck out of this. Let's, let's I'll give it a crack them. and see what yeah, happens. Yeah. Convince them that drones are the way to go. Um, that's just hurting the industry over time, right? That client gets a bad result. Um, they get a bad taste for drones and we don't all get the payoff down the line of when it is the right use uh, for drones. Yeah, okay. And do you see yourself, um, when you guys may not be able to provide, you know, the exact technology or, or something that a client needs, are you, are you partnering with people? Are you looking oh, for absolutely. partnerships? Yeah. yeah, what, yeah. Are you, what are you saying so in that a, case? A, a core part of our makeup um, from the early days is, is really that urge to collaborate. And, and we see our main vision as growing the industry, right? Um, industry is tiny at the moment. It's tip of the iceberg, scratching the surface stuff. So the more that everybody can be doing to grow the industry rather than to, to grow their little slice of it, um, the better it is for us all. And so whenever we see that there's a, whenever we get an inquiry that isn't a fit for us, we've got lots of people that we work with and we'll um, pass it on to them. Or maybe it's a, a great collaboration opportunity. You know, there's a above ground and a below the water aspects. Um, we do the above ground bit. We get one of our partners to do underneath the water surface. We put that together into one combined data set. Client gets an awesome result. Whereas if we said, oh, I reckon we can give this underwater thing a go, um, you know, client gets a result, but it's not as good a result. And, you know, is that helping in the long run? 
Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I've sort of said since um, since I've certainly been a Mirrigan that the collaboration is the key. We've, we've all got our own little path that we're experts at and, and we should probably mm. stick to that and, and share everything around and um, whatever the saying is, the, the rising tide lifts all boats or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think it's, that's a really positive positive thing. And, and, you know, we certainly don't want this industry to become a race to the bottom where we're all trying to undercut each other and, uh, you know, rip each other off. So I think that's fantastic and, and a credit to you guys for sure. Yeah, very so, early days and everyone should just be thinking, mm-hmm. what does it look like in 10 years' time, not how do I snap this one little project up? So when, you, when you're collecting that data, is that all done visual line of sight? Are you doing um, extended visual? Are you doing BB loss? Where, where are you guys up to in that? Yeah, generally it's all um, visual line of sight and, and honestly pretty basic technology that we're using on the, on the capture side of things. So when we started off, we were using um, pretty specialized gear in the you know, 50 to 100 grand per unit sort of range, um, looking down our noses at people flying phantoms and then sort of <laughs> Phantom 4 Pro came out and we're like, hmm, this is actually good. a really good sensor, <laughs> really cheap platform. We'd be idiots to not use this. Um, and so we've sort of gone, gone that way with it. Of you know, Probably 95% of our work is visual line of sight using very cheap equipment and, and RGB imagery. Uh, so for us, it's all about the downstream from that. Um, how do we take those 60,000, 80,000 images and turn it into um, this, this really accurate, really high-res model? Um, and if we'd spent a 50 grand per drone instead of three grand per drone, um, would that actually better be a better result? No. Um, because we can fly a cheap drone within one meter of things and not worry about it. Whereas a 50 grand thing, we've got to be a lot more careful of and we don't have two per operator and we can put five operators on it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, lot of um, benefit comes out of going on the low end for the, for the data capture side of things. Um, and then in terms of beyond line of sight, um, it just comes down to a commercial uh, reality of it's not really viable for most clients in the current regulatory environment. So when we get inquiries from people about uh, a job that would be necessary to be beyond line of sight or, or would go better as beyond line of sight, if we say to them, um, yep, we'll put in the permit, that's going to be six to eight weeks at a minimum and it's going to cost X thousands of dollars and you have to pay for the permit even if the regulator says no. <laughs> no client says, that sounds great. Let's proceed with that. <laughs> Um, so until the regulatory environment is, is a bit more, um, uh, you know, um, uh, more familiar territory, there's, there's a, there's a definite pathway through that, not just a hint of how to get through the weeds. Um, and, and we can more confidently say, yes, this will go through or that won't go through. And, um, uh, or possibly even we don't pay any fee unless it's a yes. Um, I think that would be the most positive thing that well, one of the most positive things that CASA could do for the industry is, you know. No win, no fee, as you see on the back of the, um, <laughs> the uh, ambulance chasing lawyers uh, ads all the time. Um, yeah, it's just very, very difficult to get that case across for, for Beyond Line of Sight. The payoff for it when the regulations improve is huge. You know, all the work mm. we do around power and pipelines and rail, and um, it's just perfectly suited. Coastline, you know, we do coastline surveys in these, these little snippets. Um, it'd be great to just let the, the drones off the leash, so to speak, and, and just let them go and grab that great data. Well, you heard it here first, Casa. We, we expect uh, some changes to it into the future, and maybe no we can, win, uh, no fee. No win, no fee for uh, for BV loss. Maybe we can send it up through AUS as well, and they can uh, they can do that. 
So, hey, look, uh, what's next? So, so what, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure AUAV don't sit on their laurels and, uh, and just let time pass by. Where, where are you going next? And I'm sure it's going to be something super technical and super geeky. So maybe we can bring it back to Andrew's level. That would be, or this Andrew's level. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we are, you are talking to the, the tech side of the business. So um, maybe later <laughs> you do an interview with James for the... Um, for uh, operations. Yeah, for the, the business side of things. But... Um, we, I guess the biggest message is, is that we're seeing this big shift in the industry um, and, and we want to be encouraging that, which is um, there's going to be a, a much smaller number of drone operators around. Like um, there's going to be a lot more people involved in the industry, um, but we see sort of the time has passed for one or two guys running their own drone business. And, and we don't want to be sort of shooting anybody down on that. We just want that to be a really positive thing to say like, guys, let's all get together a bit more on this. And, and um, I think there's going to be a smaller number of, of much bigger companies. So we're sort of putting a lot of feelers out for that at the moment. We've got, um, can't announce anything just yet, but uh, yeah, we've got a bit of a merger, which is um, happening at the moment. So we'll be able to say more on that soon. Um, and I think that's just going to be the start of, of many of those. So in any industry, this is what happens. You, you have all these little players and then the industry matures to a certain point and they start to consolidate together and um, be a bigger offer to, to the big clients. Because, you know, if you're two, two people on their own with, with a couple of drones, um, any big company you're trying to talk to just isn't, isn't actually able to engage you, right? There's, there's legals. You've got to be big enough to sue <laughs> at the end of the day um, <laughs> and to, to work for a big company. So each stage that we get bigger, we get this visibility on much, much bigger potential bigger clients bigger prospects out there um so we just want to be sort of trying to lead that charge of like um you know not not hostile takeover territory when we're not gordon gecko going out snapping up um companies we just want um to put a hand up and say hey we think um you know we've got this really unique value in the industry here if um anybody that's doing similar sort of work they've got a similar focus to us um and wants to be um you know part of something bigger um that's sort of where where we think that's all all heading in in the next little while so um yeah if that sounds like a, a good thing uh, to anybody listening then then please feel free to reach out um and um yeah i think you know in general tech sort of trends and, and where it's all going um i think i think um the regulations are are um very tricky at the moment to, to run a business around and um, CAS is doing a great job with with the hand that they've been dealt but um, yeah it's it's very very challenging to to get that balance right between keeping it safe for everybody and and allowing people to do um, you know bring bring good high value work to people um, so yeah that's, I mean one thing I'd, I'd really love to see is a, a change in focus from them holding the toes to the fire of the, the good guys um, to actually going out there and, and a bit more chasing and policing of, of the bad guys. You know, we see people doing silly things with drones every day. Um, you know, I think, I think that needs to be the focus, not, not so much, um, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's of, of, of all the, the, the paperwork and applications. Um, and, and perhaps uh, uh, sort of what you were talking about, you know, that, that industry, um, you know, joining forces and working together more, you know, and I think AAUS has got a really good spot in this as well, mm. where CASA doesn't want to go and talk to 50 different operators or 100 different operators or 200 different operators. Yep. You know, if there's, if there's major players that can really act on behalf of the industry, then I think that's a really positive thing. And, you know, I think it's worth noting that CASA is doing, you know, they're doing a pretty good job. You know, they're mm. doing the best they can. They're engaging. They do care, um, which, which I think is, is really important as well. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and you know my my prediction for the future future um, is that the regulations will probably um, look very different 
in, in five or 10 years time and that we'll probably see a bit of a reversal of who owns the airspace um, at, at the low level. So at the moment, the drones have got to get permission to, to operate um, and, and keep out of the way of manned aircraft. And, and I see that flipping around beyond, uh, below 1,000 feet. So, mm -hmm. so below 1,000 feet might be the drone space and the manned guys have got to um, work hard to operate in, in our area. Um, you know, as the industry grows and as the value of, of drones increases, um, I think that's sort of natural. And, and the other thing I see happening at some point, not anytime soon, um, is, is another level of, of uh, regulator involved. Like for there to be one organization which is managing A380s full of hundreds of people and something that fits in the palm of your hand, um, it's, it's just such different things that they're trying to keep their arms around. So I think that's part of their struggle at the moment is, is to be this fast moving, dynamic uh, regulator dealing with technology and also keeping, you know, 100 plus year industry, which is manned aviation, um, as safe as it possibly can. And they're, and they're doing an incredible job, um, certainly with, with the safety side of things. Um, so yeah, it's tricky to get that balance, balance right. So uh, tech, there's got to be more tech coming for you guys. What have you got coming up? There's got to be something, surely. Um, yeah, I guess the, the core for us around technology is, is just our software platform. So a while back, we wrote that out of necessity. There just wasn't really anything on the market for that inspection side of things. Everyone is focused on the, on the mapping and, and doing a really great job. So we've been um, using Propeller, you know, local company, from uh, almost day one, uh, delivering mapping results to you know, quarries and mines and, and whatever and, and then there's drone deploy and there's all these other solutions around uh, providing that mapping piece but nobody was really solving that uh, asset inspection and asset management side of things and so the full 3d models and being able to zoom in and out and see the you know the, the screw heads on the on the roof sheeting and and all, all the rest so we sort of stepped in and wrote that out of necessity um to get this data into our clients hands um get past that friction point make it really easy for them um the thing that we've been really um has been really surprising is that yes that's valuable but clients then ask oh and can it do xyz or could you make mm. it also do xyz um and that's actually what we see now as our our really um, core capability is providing a customized version of um, a drone data platform that meets all of a specific client's needs. So if they need it to talk to their asset register or they need to um, generate field work order forms, um, you know, whatever it is that, that they can get more value out of that drone data by us customizing it a bit, um, that's probably the, yeah, the core focus for um, the software side of the business which is you know increasingly becoming half of the business really is like we're a drone data service company we go out there we get data and then the other half of the business is around how we get that and how we present it and how we uh, pull results out of that um and that's all going to flow into the you know quote ai or machine vision machine learning side of things that at the moment it's humans tagging these defects and things but over time it'll it'll be the machines You've obviously got a passion for this, which, which I think is awesome. And uh, we need to find, you know, these passionate people in the industry to, to keep mm -hmm. driving it forward. So but I'm excited to, to talk to you about it. Hey, look, uh, we might look at, at wrapping up um, pretty shortly. Andrew, how can people reach out and contact you? Where can they find you? Uh, auav.com.au. And that's our old uh, stinky website at the moment. But if you keep an eye on it, uh, we've got a new site, which has been just about to be released for about a year now, but we're actually um, uh, going to move ahead with that soon. But uh, yeah, find us on the web and uh, LinkedIn is our other um, main channel as well. And who, uh, you did mention your business partner earlier, but, but who is the other, the other half of, of this dynamic duo? Uh, yeah, so James Rennie uh, is our Melbourne-based uh, director. And uh, yeah, if you want to email contact at auav.com.au, then uh, that goes to both of us at the same time. 
Awesome. Hey, um, Andrew, thanks again. I love what you guys are doing. I think, you know, the, the passion is there. I think the, um, you know, the, the coupling of not only the, the UAS um, drone space passion, but also caring about people and uh, caring about the industry. You know, we're, we're not here for ourselves all the time. We're here for the industry. And this is mm. why the podcast is here for the, for the industry as well. So, you know, I, I thank you for your advocacy and, and everything you guys do. So um, keep up the good work. Yeah, and likewise, thanks for having us on. And um, yeah, we think you guys are just doing a um, perfect job of just getting that that message out there that um, you know, of all the, the good things that drones can be doing. So uh, yeah, thanks for having us involved. Perfect. And uh, if it's okay with you, we might um, see if we can get you back in a little bit. I'd love to talk about the industry and you know, let's let's not talk about AUAV. Let's actually talk about things more broadly in the industry and how we're going to solve the world. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we can get, get together in the next couple of months and talk about that. Yeah, for sure. All right, awesome. Thanks, Excellent. Andrew. Talk thanks. soon. Talk to you later. Bye. See ya.